This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Oh boy, tonight I've painted myself into a corner by logging two rather lengthy shows, leaving me no time to offer up some brilliant thoughts. <laughs> Good thing. Well, okay, some thoughts anyway. So it's straight to our first show from 1947, The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. entry, The Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 4 degrees 12 minutes south, 171 degrees 35 minutes west. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks, left Hull Island, Phoenix Group after involvement in tribal beliefs. Reason for involvement, red beard and the bag of pearls. It was a brilliant sun-washed afternoon that the puff of cumulus on the horizon ahead slowly raised to show beneath it an indistinct smudge. It darkened as we moved toward it, took on a definite palm-tufted outline, and finally materialized as the four-mile length of Hull Island. Its flat silhouette is broken at its western end by a grove of 80-foot palms, and it's set against a backdrop of water and sky and never-ending summer. Gallagher approached me at the wheel as we stood in toward our passage. He was resplendent in a newly grown burning red beard that shone in the sunlight. Hey, Barbarossa, uh, if you can make yourself heard through that eight-bell shadow, douse the sails. We'll go in under power. Aye, aye, sir, and your jealousy does not throw me. <laughs> Stand by to take it in full on sail. All two will my sails. You'll be turning right for something. We slipped through the passage into the quiet lagoon water and headed toward the small pier that served the Copra station of Harris Fenrick, the man who was to receive the cargo of supplies we had aboard. The Scarlet Queen had company in the unkempt schooner Ransom from Honolulu that was anchored just off the pier. We dropped our hook next to her, and in the quiet after we were secure, I heard for the first time the muffled throb of drums from the island. Then I noticed that the man who walked down the pier toward us carried a rifle. I'm glad you finally got here, Captain Carney. Are you Fenric? No. He's up in the cottage. I'm Rayleigh Brado, captain of the schooner. What are the drums? The natives are stored up. Better leave your crew aboard, Captain. But we need you ashore. We think they will attack tonight. (laughs) 
Joe Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to sail the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. This is my mate, Mr. Gallagher, Captain Lebrano. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Quite a beard you got, redhead. Yeah, it's not bad for a start. What's the story, Captain? What's bothering the natives? First, I, uh, I think you better give me your gun. You what? what kind of a move is that? I think it's better I took over command here. Fenric, he isn't worth anything. I think it's better if I have all the guns so nobody don't do any shooting until I want them to. Well, how do you like that? You got the wrong men, Lebrano. We'll sweat this out on the ship on the other side of the reef. Come on, Red. Yeah. Wait a minute. Use your heads. I need you on this island. You stay here. Or else. Here we go, Skipper. Hold it, Red. What's up, Ray? These guys think I'm kidding. Take their guns. What is this? Hold it, Red. Don't try nothing now, either one of you. Sure, Lebron. Don't have to be tough. Just so it's my way. Is that rifle? What else? Yeah, sir. Yeah, I guess that does it, Ray. Uh, let's be friends now, huh? This is my mate, Morel. We got a thing to do here. Let's pull together, huh? Yeah, I'm not kicking. I like to be shoved around like this. You make friends fast, you guys. Maybe this don't mean a thing, but I got to know you're all right when I talk to you. Come on. We go up to the cottage. were two more men in the main room of the cottage we entered. One who ignored us as we came in wore seaman's clothes and a belted automatic. The other, sitting stiffly in a wicker chair, I took for Harris Fenrick, a slight graying man with a purplish bruise covering the left side of his face from temple to chin, and a look for Labrado that mixed fear and hate. Sit down. This is Thorpe from my crew, and he's Fenrick. <laughs> he don't talk much. With that face, he doesn't have to. I'll talk when it's the time. Shut up. You got what's coming to him. I came in here without food stores or fuel for my auxiliary. This guy turned me down when I want to buy it from him. These Phoenix Islanders haven't been at war for 50 years. What's got him riled up? <laughs> These. Uh, pearls? That's right. Plenty of them. It'll go $40,000 on skin. I won't fight you for him. Give me a match. Light your own. Burrell. Match. Yeah, boy. Now, let's get one thing settled between you and me and uh, curly locks with the fire whiskers there. Don't blow that smoke in my face, you dumb... Guys like us don't come down to these islands for the weather. You're carrying cargo for money. I'm pearling for money. We uh, see eye to eye on that now, hmm? Yeah, I think I can figure that one out. I got these pearls just like every other pearler in the business. I anchor over the bed... I got them in the Gilbert on a shelf between Beirut and Nicaragua. It's simple enough, huh? I don't care where you got them. What are you driving at? That bed. The Gilbert Tees thing. Nobody should dive there. It's sacred. They bury their warriors there for, I don't know, maybe four or five hundred years. Maybe more. I don't know. You mean these are Gilbert Tees out here with the drum? 
They follow you all the way over here? That's right. More of them come every day. The market wants these pearls. I should throw them back just because these Kanakas get some crazy ideas. Well, you break a taboo, you're asking for trouble. You asked for it, now you got it. That's all right. I got the pearls, too. <laughs> I'll fix these boys. They bought me last night when I was there. Take off my native crew, cut my sails and then my running rigging. Throw the lines in blocks over the side. It's going to don't sail for a long time. I come all the way here two days ago on my engine. And this Fenric won't help me get repaired so I can get out of here. Because I'd ruin everything I built here if I did. My workers are Gilbertes, too. He wanted to force them on the crew. Fenric. You ain't talking, remember? Now, Connie, you got any extra gear and canvas I could buy from you? No. None that I can spare. Hmm. Too bad you say that. I hope you like shooting, Kanaka. I don't. Especially when it's your kind of fight. You'll get plenty chance. As far as they're concerned, you're fighting on my side, no matter what you do. They saw you come in. They got it all figured out how you came to help me get away. This is your fight, too, now. You'll find out what I mean. It didn't take long to find out. The sun dropped into the west, and soon after half its circle had sunk into the horizon, Labrado's crewman, Burrell, standing at the window... Hey, Labrado! ...called out the warning. They're moving out there. Coming this way. A whole gang of them. All right. Back. We go meet them outside. Bring a rifle, Thorpe. Burrell, you watch Redbeard. Okay. Labrado's automatic pushed Fenric and me out the door and off the veranda. There must have been a hundred or more trickling tortoise through the neat rows of ponds. They were wearing full tribal gear and paint carrying war clubs and short spears. There wasn't a long-range weapon in the crowd. They stopped at the edge of the grove. The tall, erect native stepped to the front and raised his hand to us. His headdress was a little higher, his paint a little gaudier. And he was weaponless. What do you say, Henrik? The truth I want. He says that he has seen the spirit home and... And he comes in peace. You take a liar. What was that? He says the spirit omen will protect him. He will walk into our house with the spirit omen at his side. He will return a victor to his island, Beiru, where the spirit omen once lived. He's coming, Lebrado. Let him come. Give him five steps more and then show them we mean business. Hey, wait a minute. No. Go ahead, Thorpe. Brother, don't let him shoot. Go ahead, Thorpe. Get that native. You stupid boy. You lunkheads. You shot the chief. Thorpe, watch it. Here comes another one. You crazy fool. He's just going to pick out the chief. They're going away. What more do you want? Nah. Well, Carney, how do you like the way we fight now? That's great. You and these smoke-crazy hands of yours have got real guts. That was the tough assignment, that native who didn't even have a slingshot. Come on, we go inside and talk. Or else, you and Thor bring Curdy Locks in. We'll bring him. Come on, Connie, move ahead. You too, Henrik, inside. Take that chair there, Connie. Don't bother being nice. I like it better the other way. What's the matter, Connie? We're in this together, huh? Together? Sure. Gonna be tough from now on since uh, we killed that chief. 
They waste a few Kanakas and use up our ammunition. They wait long enough, they starve us out. Lazy monkeys, they get plenty of time. I think we better get off of this island, don't you? We... Oh, yeah, you mean you and Burrell and Thorpe. We all go together on my ship, huh? Sure. You say you don't have any spare gear or canvas. Anyway, I don't think we got time now to make repairs on my ship. I'll pay our passage to Borneo and you don't lose Why anything. Why don't you stop? I kicked myself from here to Sydney before I get sucked into a deal like that. That's enough, I tied out as a galley slave to that dead chief survivor before I'd help you get out of here on my ship. All right, honey, you keep begging. You lay off. I'm going to catch you without that automatic before this is over. All right, Brad. I'd rather be slugged than talked to by this louse. Maybe you get both, honey. You and your mate, too. I gave you a chance. I'm still trying to make sense with you. Hey, Lebrado. Yeah, what have you got? Getting dark out there. It looks like the grove out in front's crawling with Kanakas. Off you go, send guard at the door. I'll watch these guys. Move over there, Fenwick. You too, Connie, over by your mate. It's them, all right. Lebrado, they're coming out of the grove. Then open up, fools, if you get targets fired. Slow them up. When they get too close, we leap from the back window. If any of them back there, we can shoot our way through. We leave these three here for them. They're too close, LeBron. They won't stop. Keep firing. Uh, That's no use. Come on. Let's not wait any longer. We go out the north rim. They're going to have these three in payment for their chief. After they'd gone through the window, we just had time to get to our feet before the flood of natives rolled into the cottage. We backed to the wall, but the swarm of brown bodies smothered us like soldier ants covering the carcass of a mouse. I was pulled from the wall and lost Gallagher and Fenric. Then I was looking into a brown vermilion dab face. I caught the flash of a polished war club over my head and saw the lips in front of me pull away from a set of blackened teeth. And then I seemed to explode upward to meet the descending club. first thing that came back to me was the difference in sound. It was raining. I got my eyes open. The room swam into focus. I stumbled to my feet. One chair had been knocked over. Beyond it on the floor lay Harris Fenrick. When I looked around, I couldn't find Red. He was gone. Red? Red! Fenric, wait a minute. I'll get some water. All right. Come on, Fenric. Come on, Connie. You're all right. Come on, Fenric. Get yourself together. My head cut. Yeah, I know it's bad. I'm doing the best I can. Fenric, listen. Gallagher is gone. Gallagher? The natives took him. They took him? You understand me? Yes, Captain. Are you sure they took him? What else? They caught us here. Now he's gone. I couldn't have been Labrador or the others. You mean they took him to pay for their chief? That is their custom, Captain Connie. The spirit of one of the enemy who dies while looking at the dead chief will be the slave of the Gilbertine spirit in their hero. Never mind all that. How much time have I got? A few hours, perhaps. Where Captain. are they? Captain, I know the hopelessness of anything you would attempt. You yourself would be killed. I'm afraid I must refuse to answer any more of your questions. Where are they? 
I'm sorry, Captain. But you sent me to my desk. But I'll make them understand that he's the wrong man. You couldn't. Any man from the enemy village. We're all enemies since Labrado was among us. Come on, Fenric, before I shake it out of you. Where would they take us? I'm sorry, Captain. Captain. What are you, Connie? Use your head. Labrado. After all this, you come back to do more. Sure. Sure I come back. Why not? With the same forty-five, in case Carney gets too brave. Have it ready, Labrado. When you need it, you're going to need it in a hurry. It is ready. Why don't you wake up, Carney? If mate is gone with the Kanakas, what can you do? Use your head. Go with me to your ship now so we can get off this island. Drop it. I pay you passage in advance. You're just making me sick. Drop it. Get sore. Pull the trigger. Do something, but quit trying to sell me that deal. All right. You stay on the island, then. If you, it would be easy. You think we can't leave on your ship without you? We handled crews like that before. We'll make it all right. You might have that for a few days. It's a good try, Connie. I promise you that. Now that you give me your ship, I tell you where they can take your mate. Yeah, Why don't you just shoot him? You know what you're doing to him by telling him. Sure, I know. <laughs> I fix it so the captain can bend over three sharp bamboo stakes. Two for the belly and one for the heart. While a big Kanaka, he pushes him down from behind. Abrado. Go through the grove, Carney. Shout there you'll find a scrub forest. After you go through 300 yards, you look low underneath. Maybe see their fire. Maybe you get there in time to see how the three stakes look in your mate. You're happy now? Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it by forgetting you got that gun. Get out of here, Labrado. I can't stay away from you. Get out of here, Labrado. Sure, Carney. Don't make me sad to get out of here. Captain Carney. It's all right, Fenwick. But your ship, why not go with him and try to save at least that? He's ruined what I've built. And now for a hopeless search, you let him put an end to what you have. That's enough, Fenwick. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should have gone. I couldn't. Not yet. I followed the beach. I walked the 200 yards. Then started dropping to the ground every 10 feet or so to look under the heavy foliage for a flicker of flame. I covered half of the next 100. Squatted low for a few minutes, my soaked clothes sticking coolly to my body. The movement of a figure on the beach ahead caught my eye, all my attention focused on it. Not for long, but long enough to dull me to the movement behind me. It was a short rush. I half turned to meet one of them. The other one stayed behind me and a loop settled around my throat. And I... I struggled until I was blinded by the flashes in my eyes. The noose relaxed as soon as I stopped. Hand in my back pushed me in the direction the native behind me wanted me to go. I stumbled ahead along an unseen passage through the scrub. I entered the uneven circle of light spreading from a number of fires fighting against the rain. I looked up at a wall of stony, silent faces. Then my natives pulled me to a halt. I made myself look at the ground. Forced my eyes to stay on a triangle of stiletto-sharp stakes that gleam wetly in the firelight. Yeah, my eyes are left. My guard took my shoulder. The noose slipped off. Then he turned me away from the stake. Pushed me forward toward the wall of natives. An aisle split the crowd. I was guided through it. I made the first six feet on the other side. Then I stopped. Fire on this side was bigger. Flames leaping cheerfully. Higher than my head. 
forming a curtain that I could see vaguely through. Only vaguely, and I still didn't believe what I thought I saw. Yeah! Oh, I moved around the fire. And I had to believe it because I heard it. Well, then, no! This is not the killer of the chief! Why not? Tell me, my donkey! Gallagher! Not impaled on stakes, but seated on a chair of sorts, his bright red beard glowing in the firelight, and a shelter of palm leaves protecting him from the rain the rest of us stood in. He looked at me coolly, then gestured idly with two fingers on his right hand. Have the white man sent to me. Well then, I speak to the white man. Then we find the killer of their chief. I was stumbling around here figuring maybe I'd save yours. What the devil's going on? My beard and my coloring. What? Yeah. They saw me come ashore. And then they dragged me out of that cottage and made a big shot out of me before I could congratulate myself. <laughs> they got a legend that a guy with a beard and hair like Hans Borton floated into Beirut Island in the Gilberts three or four hundred years ago. And he turned into quite a leading light. They think I'm him. Come back to save their pearls. Think you'll make it? I hope so. Because if I don't... That's why I had them out there waiting for you. I knew you'd get on this trail sometime. Ren, Lebrado and his hands were on their way to take over the Queen when I left. The Queen? What's the matter with you, Skipper? How'd you let him get away with that? I had all the artillery. I didn't even have you. I don't think they'll risk the reef with this rain-cutting visibility. But we better take a stab at it quick. Catch them while they're at anchor. Can you get some helpers? (laughs) Can I? All I gotta do is wag this beard. How many you want? Fifty, a hundred, or the whole blasted pack? Twenty of the best swimmers. <laughs> That's great, but being what I am, I'll have to outswim them. Or admit that I'm human. <laughs> Watch my beard, Skip. I'll show you how it's done. Stand by! Tell them this. I demand twenty swimmers. They must be strong and silent and filled with fire. When they are ready, we will go and get the pearls. The one who took them from the burial bed, and the two killers of their chief Matangi. Hey, you're all right, Red. You got that immortal attack. This is a life for you. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But that other Joe, he married eight wives. You, you should see what I've been through dodging that, that honor. Well, you tell him you've got a scarlet queen that just sets off your beard. That's woman enough for you. Believe me, Skipper, I'll be glad to get her back. An hour later, Gallagher and I had led our 20 natives to the edge of the lagoon, a safe distance away from the pier, and stripped down the dungarees. We slipped into the water. Stroked silently with our arms submerged, with only our heads breaking the surface. We reached the Queen, rested on the port side. We found both Thorpe and Burrell standing watch on deck. According to plan, I submerged, swam under the keel. Came up on the starboard side, waited there for the disturbance that was to take them to port so I could board. I didn't hear the sound, but I saw Thorpe's head lift and swing toward it. I was halfway over the rail by the time they started to move. And I was behind them as they reached the rail. I dropped to the deck and lifted their feet first. Thorpe, then Burrell. They were fished out by waiting brown arms that quieted their struggling and started towing them to shore. Gallagher came aboard. We didn't wait for LeBron. We went after him. 
He was sitting on the edge of my bunk, idly picking an untrimmed thumbnail. When he saw us, his mouth dropped open. He lunged to his feet and his hand straight toward the automatic in his way. Hey, what the devil? Without the gun this time, the brother. Oh. I take his gun right off. Take him. Hey, what do you think you're doing, Carl? I don't know what to do without that automatic in your fist. Do you, little You don't like it when you're unarmed like that native chief. I don't think you knew what else to do with a guy who had enough guts to walk up to you and your two riflemen. You don't understand guts, do you? Scares you to death when you see them in somebody else. Oh, that's enough. I'm quite it. All right, now get him. All right, I got him. What's this? He fell out of his shirt. Just the pearls, Randy. You bring them. We'll give both the pearls and Lobrado to our friends. Don't let them Shut up, Lebrano. No. Oh, please, please, Tommy, don't. Don't let them get me. All right, Gallagher. Be the big chief. Hand the pearls over to your loyal subjects. Right? Come on. Hey, you! Here! Tommy, what are you going to do? Hey, down there! No, Tommy! Your mighty red god has another gift for you! in the clouds of the moon shot a spotlight that shone on a triangle of ponds ashore. They gleamed wetly in the silver light. And they reminded me of the triangle of glistening stiletto-sharp stakes that were now waiting for Labrado. I went in to clean myself up before I hit the sack. thirty the next day, we discharged Fenrick's cargo and left Hull Island basking in the sun peacefully once more, richer for the unkempt schooner Ransom from Honolulu. With the white curl of surf on coral dropping astern, I cut the motor, and Red roared the crew into action. It was a meek equatorial breeze that flowed in on our starboard quarter. But the crewmen jumped to their stations as though it was the wind they'd waited for all their lives. It was a holiday wind that we'd ride to Christmas. No snow or holly wreaths, no sleigh bells or shopping lists. But we'd be one up on the world. We'd celebrate the holiday on Christmas Island. The mainsail blossomed into the air. The jib. Then the mizzen swung across my head and its expanse went to work. A Scarlet Queen, unimpressed by the meager wind she was getting, settled lazily on her course and nestled into the long blue-green swells that stretched endlessly ahead. Hey, Skipper, I got something to show you. How are you, almighty bearded one, pride of the Gilbert Islands? <laughs> yeah, you, you think it's a gag, huh? Well, look at here, look. The Pacific Islands Handbook. Page one, two, go ahead, go ahead, read, read, right. look, at, look at that. The Spanish explorer <laughs> Mendana was in these waters in 1567. Yeah. And it's believed that he may have sighted the Gilbert group. Uh, that's my outfit. Yeah. Uh, strong native tradition has it that between 1550 and 1600, a man with white skin, red hair, and red beard came ashore at the island of Beirut, Gilbert, in a boat like a box in a famished condition. He recovered, took as wives the eight sisters of a local chief, and had 23 children whose descendants are now scattered throughout 14 of the 16 Gilbert Islands. 
He may have come from Mendonia's ship. <laughs> How do you like that? It's right there for anybody to read. Oh, Red, it's a great beard, but with yeah. the name Gallagher, it somehow doesn't point back to a Spanish explorer. Yeah, yeah well, well, funnier things have happened, and besides, it worked, didn't it? We got out of there. With your loyal subject pushing eight wives at you, you had to get out. <laughs> had to defend yourself, Red. Just like you said. I told him I had a scarlet queen. Then just fell off my beard. <laughs> Here, Skipper. To the queen? Yeah, after what she got you out of, to the queen. <laughs> after you, mate. After you. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Wind light. Sky fair with cumulus on eastern horizon. Sea... Calm with low swell. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a show that was first broadcast in 1950. Lucille Ball stars in My Favorite Husband and the episode Old Clothes to the Junk Man. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Yes, it's the Gay Family Series, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Transcribed and brought to you by the Jell-O family of Red Letter Desserts. Denning as Liz and George Cooper, two people who live together and like it. As we look in on the Coopers tonight, they're spending a quiet evening at home. George is lying on the couch smoking his pipe, and Liz is curled up in the easy chair watching him. <laughs> George, you look like an Indian making smoke signals. Is that what you're doing? Ugh. <laughs> hey, send me a message in smoke signal. Ugh. Ooh, what you said. <laughs> Sorry, it was a typographical error. Oh. Yeah. I'll get it. Oh, George, it's the Atterbury. Liz girl, George boy. <laughs> George boy, Liz girl. Hi, folks. We came by to see if you wanted to go to a movie. The men is down at the corner. They is? <laughs> That's the name of the picture. Mm-hmm. With Marlon Brando. Woo! Well, what are we waiting for? Well, I don't know. It's a double feature with Jane Russell. Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> <clears throat> Well, we better get started. Okay, I'll go put on some lipstick while you change, George. Change? Well, certainly. You can't go looking like that. Well, why not? I've only worn this T-shirt twice. <laughs> George, 
Cooper, do you mean to say you'd go to a movie in a T-shirt and those horrible old slacks? Well, Jane Russell isn't going to care. Of course, Marlon Brando might not like it. Don't you have any pride? Look at Mr. Atterbury. He's all dressed up. Say the word, boy, and I'll take my tie and shirt off. <laughs> Rudolph. Well, I'm just trying to make George feel comfortable, Lotus Bud. <laughs> You're not alone, Liz. We had the same scene before we left home. Rudolph wanted to wear dungarees, a sweatshirt, and sneakers. <laughs> We're suffering the curse of the middle classes, George. How I'd love to be poor enough or rich enough to go around dressed like a bum. Oh, boy. As it is, a man can't be comfortable going to a neighborhood... Buster! <laughs> Shut your big bazoo. <laughs> Buster! <laughs> Look, we're wasting valuable time. George, I'm not stepping out of this house with you in that outfit. We were going dancing, I'd say you had a point. But who's going to see me? I get in the car, drive down there, sit in a movie for two hours, get in the car and drive home. And suppose we have an accident? <laughs> oh, my Aunt Fanny. Suppose we hit another car and you're knocked unconscious? How will that picture look on the front page of the newspaper? You stretched out in a T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, boy, she's right. Suppose they took you to the hospital. What self-respecting surgeon would operate on you in those clothes? <laughs> I didn't think of that. The blood would clash with these green slags. <laughs> You're both terribly amusing. George, are you going to change your clothes or are we going to stay home? Sounds like she means business, boy. Yeah, I know that tone. Well, come along, Mr. Atterbury, and help me pick out something. I can't decide whether to wear my chartreuse velveteen or my pink taffeta. <laughs> oh, may I? <laughs> I just read Vogue, and I have some stunning ideas. Have a cigar, Iris. <laughs> There. Do you think this tie and shirt will pass inspection? Oh, yes, yes. Liz would be proud to have you in an accident looking like that. <laughs> oh, I hate ties. Oh, me too. Once I had the bright idea of painting a dark stripe down my chest. <laughs> did you try it? Yep. It did it work? Yep. Too well. Too well? Iris put a stick pin in it. <laughs> You know, before we were married, Iris loved my baggy tweeds and open shirts. Today, I wear the same outfit, and I'm a sloppy crumb bum. <laughs> Come on, crumb bum. The girls are waiting. Wait a minute, boy. I have an idea. They want us to be dandies. Let's be dandies. You mean... Sure, sure. We'll put on the fanciest clothes you've got. Let's give them a good dose of what they asked for. Hey, that's a wonderful idea. Wonderful, my foot. It's sheer genius. Let's look in your closet. We'll find something here. Yeah, let's... Oh, blue jeans, torn slacks, sweatshirt, 
old flannel bathrobe. Gad, what a wonderful wardrobe. <laughs> Thanks. It's taken me a long time to collect it. Here, here, what's this? A tailcoat and striped trousers. Oh, yeah. I wore those to my cousin's wedding six years ago. Oh, these will be perfect for you. Put them on. Wear them? Sure, sure. And I'll... I'll... Here, here. I'll wear a pair of your golf socks and stuff my trousers inside so they look like knee bridges. (laughs) (laughs) Take this lace doily off the nightstand and pin it at your throat. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tuck this silk hanky in my sleeve. (laughs) I've got just the thing to top it off. Here, Liz's blue silk bed jacket. Oh, good. (laughs) Oh, oh. Boy, these pants have shrunk since I last wore them. Uh, mm. Funny thing about pants. Hang them in the closet for a few years and the waistline always shrinks. <laughs> well, I, I can fasten them if I hold my breath. Uh, uh, here we go. My arm, the Brummel. Charmed, Lord Chesterfield. <laughs> up there, Liz. How long does it take George to put on a shirt and a tie? I don't know. George, what are you doing up there? We'll be right down, honey. I don't know what's taking so long. Maybe he's having trouble getting those old pants off without breaking them. (laughs) (laughs) He's really attached to those pants, isn't he? Sometimes I think it's vice versa. You know, he doesn't just hang them in the closet. He stands them up in the corner. I know what you mean. And when he gets a hole in them, I don't mend it. I solder it. (laughs) Rudolph has an old leather jacket he's that way about. Okay, let's go to the movie. Well, it's about time. What in the world? you're doing? George, be a lamb and see if my stocking themes are straight, will you? <laughs> what matter, my lord? We're only going to a movie. But I might swoon in the lobby. <laughs> and I'd hate to be carried to the powder room with a crooked stocking theme. <laughs> Very funny, fellas. Ha ha. Rudolph, get out of that ridiculous outfit. Now, we'll be late, George. Go up and get dressed. But I am dressed. Don't you see? With this morning coat and striped pants, if we get in an accident, I can be my own pallbearer. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to change your clothes. You're going to need one. Now, go get dressed. Does anyone have any snuff? I haven't had a good pinch all day. (laughs) I'll give you a good pinch. You'll notice Now, wait a minute. I'm confused. When I'm not dressed up, you don't like it, and when I am dressed up, you don't like it. Well, I'm not going with you dressed like that. Can I wear my T-shirt and slacks? Oh, all right. I'll take off my tie and go in my shirt sleeve. Go in your underwear, but hurry. (laughs) While the men is showing. Come on, boy. Okay. Oh, my pants! There'll be a small delay, Iris. One of the men is showing more than the other. (laughs) 
return to the Coopers, it is the next day, and we find Liz still smoldering over her defeat in the battle of the ties and tight collars. She's pacing up and down the living room, working out her frustration and trying a plan of revenge. Katie, the maid, comes to console her. Mrs. Cooper, Mrs. Cooper, relax. I hate men. You'll get over it. It's just too bad the other sex had to be men. <laughs> I wish there was something else to marry. <laughs> no, 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 really. There must be something else for women to do besides wasting their time marrying men. I tried collecting butterflies once, but it wasn't as much fun. <laughs> Forget it, Mrs. Cooper. Men are like that. Well, my man isn't going to be. If I could only get rid of all of his old clothes and get him to start fresh, I... Get rid of his old clothes. Hey! Come on, Katie. I'm going to make someone very happy. Who, Mr. Cooper? No, the old clothes man. I'm going to take all of George's old clothes and give them away. <laughs> Look at this wardrobe. Pretty gruesome. You know, maybe George got these from the old clothes man. <laughs> Where do we start? How about this corduroy jacket? Oh, that stale thing. You better shake it. There may be a bird's nest in the pocket. Yes, ma'am. I was right. Look, an egg. <laughs> That's a golf ball. Oh. Well, here we go. Here, take this flannel bathrobe and this hunting shirt, leather jacket with the elbows out. <gasps> Look at this awful tweed suit. Ugh. Um, I could use some dust rags. <laughs> Here. Thanks. And take this pair of slacks and his rain hat. Not his rain hat. That's sacred. It's also holy. <laughs> Look, Katie, it's just a case of who gets it first, me or the sanitation department. Well, I hope you've decided what you're going to tell Mr. Cooper. Oh, I'll think of something. Right now, I have only one thing to worry about. What's that? The old clothes man may refuse them. <laughs> Is he, Mr. Atterbury? No, no, come in, George boy. I was just warmly remembering the great victory we won last night. <laughs> I think we taught them their lesson. Yeah, I <laughs> Hello. Is um, George Cooper there, please? He, he, yes. He's right here. For you, George. Oh, thanks. Hello. Mr. Cooper, my name is Adam. I'm the local used clothing dealer. Yeah? I thought you'd like to know. I uh, just got in a... Hot shipment of old clothes. <laughs> oh, look, you, you, you've got the wrong George Cooper. I'm the vice president of this bank. Yes, I know that. Well, why do you tell me about some old clothes? Because they're yours. Well, look, I don't care. Mine? Yes, sir, I just left your house. Your wife was shoving clothes out the front door faster than I could pick them up. It looked like an explosion at the laundry. What a dirty trick. Liz sold all my old clothes to the junk man. Yeah, she's inhuman. I tell you what, Mr. Cooper, I'll bring them over to the bank if you like. Oh, would you? Well, I'll see that you make a profit on the deal. Oh, don't worry, I'll see to that. What do you mean? 
Well, uh, collecting men's old clothes from their wives is a nice business, but uh, I make my real money selling them back to the husband. <laughs> uh, well, uh, bring them over. I'll be waiting. Okay. Oh, say, before you hang up, uh, will you switch me over to a Mr. Um, oh, no, wait a minute. Oh, uh, Mr. Atterbury. Atterbury? Oh, God! <laughs> We'll both be waiting. Now, hurry up over. Well, how do you like that? <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, are you all right? Yes. Yes. I've got an idea, boy. What? Run down to Miller's department store and ask them to give you some suit boxes. New ones. Then we'll put our old clothes in the boxes, wrap them up, and when we get home tonight, we'll tell our wives we've got a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> My little husband tonight. Ooh, what's in all those boxes? Mm-hmm. Sort of a surprise. Miller's department store. <laughs> George, you bought some new clothes. Yeah, I bought them all right. Well, it's a lucky thing because I have something awful to tell you about your old clothes. You have? Yes. Yes, George, I got to feeling guilty about last night. After all, if you want to wear old clothes, I should let you. Yes? Well, I took all your old clothes out and started to clean them for you. Oh? Well, you know how easily that cleaning fluid catches fire. Yes. Well. Gone. You believe me, don't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, then I'll go on. <laughs> Where was I? You know how easily that cleaning fluid catches fire. Oh, yes. Well, I was too near the stove, and a spark got on them, and all your clothes burst into flames. My goodness. All that was left was a few little ashes. Dirty ashes. <laughs> Are you mad at me, George? Oh, not at all, dear. That's the kind of thing that would happen to anyone. Oh, you're wonderful, George. <laughs> Here, let me show you what's in these boxes. Okay. There. Ooh. <laughs> well, what do you think? Hmm, they sure did a good job of sewing those ashes back together. <laughs> Liz. Hmm? I bought these from a man today. Oh, well, what luck, finding a set of clothes just like the ones that burned. <laughs> yes, wasn't it a break? Yeah, too bad we still don't have the others. We could dress alike, sort of mother and daughter bum suit. <laughs> Liz, hmm? aren't you ashamed? Well... You've been acting like a child, haven't you? Well, as long as you're being big about it, I guess I can, too. It was a dirty trick, and I was childish. Now, if you act that way, then I'll have to treat you according. Hmm. Come here, Liz. What are you sitting down for? Over my knee. <gasps> you wouldn't dare. Oh, wouldn't I? Come here. Oh, if you spank me, I'll tell Mommy. Oh, that doesn't work anymore, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Now, George, don't. Oh, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Oh, Oh, George! 
I'm waiting. <laughs> oh, oh, I haven't told you yet. Oh. <laughs> Iris and Liz will die. The Retail Merchants Association has chosen the best-dressed men in town. And who do you think came in one, two? Not yes, those sloppy crumb bums, Atterbury and Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it couldn't have come at a better time. What a coincidence. I, I wonder how they happened to choose us. Well, why do you think? Because of our tasteful wardrobe, our impeccable grooming, and the fact that I'm chairman of the choosing committee. <laughs> Oh, you're, you're not going to. It'll be in the papers tomorrow. Oh, I can't wait till tomorrow. Well, you won't have to. They're going to take pictures of us with our wives on the city hall steps at 5 o'clock. We'll have the girls there to meet us. Okay. Now, you call Liz and I'll call Iris, but don't tell them what it's for. Just let them think we're taking them to dinner and ask them to meet us in front of the city hall. Okay. Well, as long as pictures are going to be taken, we can give the girls a little break. Tell them to look their best. All right. We can be that nice to them. I'll call right away. Yeah. Come on in, Iris. All right. Oh, Mrs. Cooper, I'm so glad you're home. You too, Mrs. Atterbury. What's the matter? Well, your husband's called and said to meet them for dinner. Oh? It's something that came up at the last minute, and they want you to meet them in front of the city hall, and they said to be sure and look your best. How do you like that, Iris? The eternal males. When we want them to look nice, they won't do it. But now that it's important to them, they say, be sure and look your best. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so what? So, what are you going to wear to dinner? Uh, well, my, my new green satin I bought today. What are you going to wear? George's blue jeans and a sweatshirt. <laughs> huh? Topped off with sneakers and his old rain hat. <clears throat> oh, do you dare? Iris, this is our big chance to get even. Are we going to blow it? Oh, I'll run right home and get into one of Rudolph's tacky outfits. You don't need to. George's closet is a place where old clothes go to die. <laughs> now, you can wear his old fishing pants. They're just horrible. And his checkered cap and a sweater that's so old it has mending on the mending. <laughs> Sounds very chic. Yeah. <laughs> and I know just the thing to top it off A hideous hand-painted tie It's blue with an orange eagle Flying over a purple tree <laughs> What a monstrosity Wait till you see it I already have We gave it to him for Christmas <laughs> Well, let's get dressed, shall we? <laughs> What's keeping Liz and Iris? Oh, they're probably home primping. After all, we told them to look their best. You know what that means to a woman. Yeah. Well, I wish they'd get here. The photographers want to get a shot of us with our wives. Well, that's funny. Look over there, Joy. Where? Coming up the steps. Two clowns. <laughs> I didn't know there was a circus in town. They're not clowns, they're bums. L look at the rags they're wearing, that, that checkered golf cap. And did you ever see such a shapeless hat? Never. You, George, Rudolph. Oh, God! 
boy through the lobby and into the elevator. Oh, the elevators don't work this late. Don't quibble! Open the doors and jump down the shaft! <laughs> We wanted to look just right. And you don't know them, George. Here, my good man, here's a quarter for a cup of coffee. Now scram. Uh, where are we going to eat dinner, George? Oh, it's no use. What's the meaning of this, Liz? Meaning of what? We're just being casual. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, Mr. Atterbury, how long do we have to wait? Ow, you stepped on my foot. Oh, I beg your pardon, mister. <laughs> now, just a minute. When are your wives going to show up? Well, they're, 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 they're not here yet. They should be here soon. What do you mean? I'm Mrs. Cooper. And I'm Mrs. Atterbury. Well, I'll take the picture anyway. Maybe the editor can put it on a comic page. <laughs> the editor? Yes, editor. For your information, Mr. Atterbury and I have been chosen as the two best-dressed men in town. I don't believe it. I don't either. Oh, it's true. And i got to get their pictures with their wives for the morning paper. Oh. Okay, everybody, a big smile Don't now. you dare take that picture. We'll go home and change our clothes. Oh, yeah, you can get a picture later. You up there with that big camera. Don't you take any pictures for your paper either. Oh, he's not with the paper. Well, then what's he doing? Time not to take our picture. It's a little late, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> You've been on television for the last ten minutes. Oh, no! <laughs> Yes, Lucille, what's on the docket for tonight? Tonight, Robert, to start the new season, I am a shy young country girl, a beautiful little flower visiting the city for the first time. And I'm the city slicker? Right. Take it away, Wilbur. Well, hello, my beautiful little flower. Hello, Did you uh, drop this handkerchief? Oh, no, you don't. My mother told me about fellers like you. <laughs> she did? Yep. Why do you think I dropped my handkerchief? <laughs> I uh, want to talk to you about Jello. Oh, you're going to sweet talk me, huh? <laughs> Jello comes in six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry. Yep. Orange, lemon. No. <laughs> yes, and lime. Well, that's enough talking. Kiss me. <laughs> now, look, there'll be none of that until I finish talking about Jell-O. Ooh, gonna play hard to get, eh? <laughs> Come here, you. Put me down. <laughs> oh, shucks. There. Now, where was I? Up here! Put me down! <laughs> well, you don't have to get in a tizzy about it. <laughs> Wanna wrestle? No! Now, may I finish? Proceed! <laughs> Jello makes you think of the real ripe fruit itself. No. Yes. It's help. 
Yes. So look for the big red letters on the box. Hi. What does that spell? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know you knew the letters? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can spell, but I can't read. You see, I'm working with dog and cat now. Oh, you are? Yeah, but they're doing better than I am. Well, when you learn to read, you'll find that Jell-O is wonderful. It is. Because the flavor is locked in by a special process. It is. Yes, and it can't get out till your first delicious spoonful. I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me. Now, um, how about that kiss? Oh, no. Jello sounds better to me now. And I bought You have been listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning and based on characters created by Isabel Scott Rorick. Tonight's transcribed program was produced and directed by Jess Oppenheimer, who wrote the script with Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll, Jr. Original music was composed by Marlon Skiles and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The part of Katie the Maid was played by Ruth Parrott. Lucille Ball can be seen starring with Bob Hope in Paramount's picture, Fancy Pants. Bob Lamont speaking. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Suspense, followed by Martin and Lewis. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.